Welcome to Stories from the Center of the Universe, the podcast about the human experience. Matt Green, welcome to the Center of the Universe. Thanks for having me here. You and I first talked, I guess, about a year and a half ago? I think that's right. It's been a while. And I can't remember who connected us. <laughs> me neither. Somebody gave me your phone number and said, Matt would love to talk to you. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. I, I remember getting a text from you, but I don't remember how it happened. Uh, I'll think of it eventually. It was a sister. She's a, she has a sister. They live next door to each other. Your parents, <laughs> your parents probably know them. All right. So you and I both grew up in Ashland. Uh-huh. And Ashland, since your birth, has been known as the center of the universe. That's right. Do you have any idea why Ashland considers itself the center of the universe? I don't. I don't. I mean, I do remember um, growing up and being in the variety show and singing the Ashland, Ashland, center of the universe song, which I could probably still remember word for word if I wasn't too embarrassed to sing it oh, on a recording podcast. But I, know, I guess I don't really know where the name came from. So I grew up next door to the mayor back in the 70s. I was born in the late 60s. and he Dick Gillis. Exactly. He came up with it? Yes. Uh, that does ring a bell now that you say that. Are you old enough to remember Dick Gillis? Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. The cowboy hat, right? Oh, yeah. The, yeah. All the time. He'd be, he'd be in the variety show. He'd, oh, of course. Yeah, yeah it, I d- it, definitely Anything remember. in front of people where people would listen to him and watch him. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. was all about that. Yeah. Yeah, he came up with it, and, and it obviously stuck. Okay, that does, that does sound familiar now that you say it. I had a buddy come in here. He's from Jersey, and he said, "Yeah, I'm from Jersey, center of the universe." I'm like, "Hold on, I don't think you really understand where you are right now." You know, there's. Uh, well, I don't want to jump the gun on anything, but I, I was was walking in. Uh, I think it was in Ohio, and there's a town called Center of the World. Wow, that's nowhere near the universe. I know. Though. It's pathetic. They're not even really trying. Pathetic. <laughs> You were walking through Ohio on your way to Oregon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll talk about. I think, that yeah, later. yeah. I just realized as I was saying it. I don't want to, don't want to get ahead of things. Yeah, I, I looked at your route. By the way, we'll we'll come back to this. But okay. I looked at your route. And I'm like, just walking across Montana makes me very tired. That was the longest. Just thinking about that it. That was the longest single state for sure. That was a long, long one. I mean, you look at the map and you start to realize the scale. You're like, I, know. I don't understand. I know, and a lot of it, you know. You might think of it as just being like beautiful Rocky Mountains, but a lot of it's just wide open, really hot in the summer, just mm. kind of flat, the eastern part of the state. It's a long, long journey. We, we're going to come back to, the, okay. to that trip. Uh, do I call it a trip? Yeah, sure. I, or journey. Call it whatever you want. Yeah, right. yeah, I'll call it a journey. Uh, all right, so as a kid in Ashland, what were you into? Um, like when you were 9, 10, 11? Yeah, 11. I guess, uh, you know, I was in the kind of, Sports, soccer, baseball. I was just getting into baseball card collecting, mm. a lot of Legos, playing in the woods, um, you know, where my parents live. Um, it's just outside of Ashland. There's a, a, a big wooded area behind the house. You could just kind of go frolic back there. Just and, disappear. Yeah. Um, so that was definitely a, a big part of growing up. Um, but yeah, you know, a few kids in the neighborhood to play around with, play, play wiffle ball. Wiffle ball is a great sport. Yeah, it is. Completely underrated. It is. It is. They actually you, have huge leagues now. YouTube's made made a It's one of those bit. like nostalgia things like dodgeball where, you know, you become an adult and then you look back so fondly on that game of your childhood, you know, yeah. and everyone who's your age also looks back on it fondly. So, yeah, there's, you know, the big kickball leagues and all those kind of it's games amazing coming how, back. I mean, it's amazing how creative wiffle ball fields can get. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. I mean, I played in a side yard. Uh-huh. There was, oh, I see. There was like a bird fountain in, in, in <laughs> right. the middle of the outfield. Right. Silly. In fact, one of the, my favorite fields 
there was a, uh, a full garden that basically took up the left side of the infield and most of the left wow. field. Yeah. Yeah, it's such a silly game. You can kind of incorporate anything into it. And it you can it do whatever you want. Yeah. You're swinging a plastic bat at a plastic ball. And the plastic ball with holes in just one side of it. Yeah. It's a bit, yeah. And you can do amazing ra- pitches. Crazy curveballs. Yeah, it's stuff. amazing. Yeah. So uh, what were you really interested in, besides being outside, obviously? Yeah. Uh, like, what caught your attention, like, through school? Were you a math science kid, or were you... I was kind of a math science kid, but um, I don't think, I mean, this isn't, to, you know, not a reflection of my teachers or anything. I had some great teachers, but there was something about just the environment of being in school that didn't really um, catch my attention. You know, just that, the, the kind of way of being instructed of just being inside all the time. And, yeah. um, you know, I, it, it wasn't really until I was able to get outside on my own that things began to feel more interesting. You know, it's, it's for me, for me, like sitting indoors and, and learning about something, um, just, it's not the same as, as kind of experiencing it yourself. It's nowhere near the same and you retain a lot more if you experience it. Yeah. Yeah. There's some kind of, uh, you know, it's such an emotional thing to experience or discover, discover something yourself that it sticks in your brain and in such a different way I found. It's absolutely true for most people, I think. Yeah. And you've tapped into it in a real way. Like you, you live each day in that way. Yeah. I mean, just because that's what kind of makes things seem worth doing, you know, when they, when they feel that fulfilling to, to learn something yourself. Isn't it uh, crazy that in 2022, people are still being taught that way? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, you know. It's it's hard to to come up with a better system, maybe I guess for for kind of mass education. I don't know, but it it does seem for me it was it just wasn't. Um, and again, not, you know, I don't want to make it sound like I have anything bad to say about my teachers in particular, but just that that way of educating for me, and and I'm sure for lots of other kids, you know, yeah, I mean, we have all these all these kind of conditions that are kind of invented by our education system, you know, attention deficit disorder and, yeah. you know, in other circumstances that might not be a bad thing, but because we've decided that kids have to just sit inside and be quiet in order to learn, um, you know, that's just not, just not a way that works for everybody. Yeah. ADD. I mean, the, the second D is disorder, as you just said, why is that a disorder? Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, there are environments where it could probably be a, you know, they could an flourish. Advantage. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. An, yeah. an advantage. Yeah. Uh, it's funny. I know plenty of people that consider themselves ADD as children, but they were not labeled that. I'm like, why are you labeling your past? Yeah, right. With something that's really manufactured by the system, right. That we all go through. That's right. Yeah, yeah. You went through public schools. You, you were uh, Henry Clay, pra- Henry Clay, John M. Gandhi, Liberty, Patrick Henry. That is a very similar path I followed, except uh, I left Liberty after seventh grade and went to a private school. Uh-huh. And in private schools, they still have a very similar system. Right. And they ha- they sh- they absolutely have the flexibility to get out of the classroom, which they do probably more than Patrick Henry or say uh, Mechanicsville High School does. But yeah, uh, they they tend to teach. Yeah. With an older person standing in front of teenagers. Right. I guess it's just tough to, to change it up because that's the way it is. And if, you know, if you try something different and it doesn't go well, you get in a lot more trouble than if you just do the thing that's the way it's done. Yeah. And it's like, know? it's like trying to turn uh, something a hundred times the size of an aircraft carrier. Right. Like it's going to take a right. really long time. You're going to have to have serious uh, intent and momentum behind yeah, it. Yeah, that's right. Kind of thing. But you, but you generally enjoyed 
going through the Henry County Public Schools. Yeah, I mean, as far as school goes, I, I you know, I was glad to be there. Um, I think it was, I think it's a pretty good system compared to other ones I've seen, heard about. Um, yeah, I, I feel like I, you know, even though that classroom environments for me wasn't the, the best fit, um, I, I definitely felt like I learned a lot, you know, met so many people that shaped my life there. Um, so yeah, it was overall as a, definitely really good formative experience well and you went to the university of virginia which means that you did fairly well really well actually to get in the uva uh from western hanover county right i mean yeah 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 it's not like the school system or you failed each other right right yeah i don't mean to make it sound like some disaster or anything it's just just because you were asking about that kind of spark of curiosity that was just something i didn't really feel that strongly in in a classroom but you excelled in, in the, the classic way they were teaching you, despite the fact that you knew that wasn't best. Yeah, you. it just wasn't that fun. Because <laughs> you, you know, want to have can, fun. Yeah, exactly. If you're having fun, you're going to learn. That's right. Yeah, we kind of we kind of have this idea that like school's about not having fun. And it's just about focus. But if you make it fun, then it's so much easier to focus and learn and be successful. And you're bringing a lot more kids along with you if you're having fun. Yeah. And life can be really fun. Like learning can be really fun. So... You know, we got to tap into that. Yeah, I, I'm not the guy that can answer that, but you've probably given it a fair amount of thought. Sounds like. Yeah, just I mean, again, just in terms of my own experiences, and you know, over the years, I've done a lot of um, talks or little done teaching um, for different ages of kids. Um, you know, from from elementary up through college, and um, yeah, it can be. It, it, you know, it's tough to to engage different kids of different ages sometimes, but you know. Once you make them see the learning experience as like primarily an adventure, mm. then they kind of stop seeing it as school. And it's just like you get to, you know, our natural instincts are to learn. I mean, we're, especially as a kid, you're like a learning machine. Like yeah. all your brain is built to do is learn. And sp- we kind of stifle yeah. that sometimes. Yeah. So when you go to these schools, whether it's elementary or college, are you taking the kids outside? Hopefully, yeah. I mean, you know, sometimes I'll just, a school will ask me to just come in and do a talk, and then, you know, we'll be in an auditorium, and I'll show photos and do a talk. But, yeah, yeah, it's fun when we get to do a walk. Um, You know, sometimes we'll do little group walks with the class or something. That's always really fun to do. That's cool. You had mentioned before we came in uh, the house that you play the trombone, because we were talking to Jeremy outside. Uh It's just a random random encounter for us. Uh, Were you really into music? Um, I, I play the trombone in, in like band and marching band in um, in you know middle school and high school. Um, although I haven't haven't touched one since then. My my trombone was like on its last legs by the end of high school. The um, for those who know what a spit valve is, the, the spit valve. I play the tuba. So oh, I nice. Guess. So you know, yeah. the spit valve had fallen off my trombone, and um, it was kind of a crappy trombone. So I didn't think it was worth fixing. So I just had a. Um, my solution was I, I had a wad of silly putty that I wrapped around the, the hole that the spit came out of to keep to keep it closed. It worked up. for a while, I imagine. It worked for the for the year that I did it. Yeah, <laughs> poor Mister Flo, my uh, the band director, didn't love the looks of it all. But uh, not a, not an attractive look. No, not a, especially in marching band when you're wearing the uniforms and doing the you know marching the patterns on the field, and you got some guy with silly putty stuck to it, his trombone. It's trumbo. a mix of form and function. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You you were nailing the function, maybe yeah. not before. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, so all right, so you you go to UVA. Is it because like 
hey, I'm from Virginia. It's it's relatively inexpensive. If I go to a state school uh, and, it, and it has a great reputation, I get a diploma from there and I can go do what the world expects me to do. Yeah, exactly. That's that's pretty much it. Yeah. And um, engineering is... So I, I, engineering, you know, was just... I didn't have any clear idea what to do. And, um, you know, math and science were kind of my strongest subject. So... Um, you know, probably at the recommendation of, of my guidance counselor or something. It just, you know, that seemed like a natural fit. Um, so, yeah, so I went in, went into the engineering school my first year at UVA, but um, not out of any great love for engineering or even understanding of what it was. It just was like, oh, if you're good at math, that's a good thing to go into. Yeah, I, I was good at math, too, and everybody said, you're, you're a boy, you're good at math, you yeah. should do engineering, mm-hmm. and I, I, we're not here to tell my story today, but uh, you end up taking a different path. And it's, I think you end up taking a different path eventually because your brain is not fully formed when you're thinking about going to college and taking, whether it's engineering classes or math classes or whatever it is. But you, I read an article about you that said you knew as an engineer student at UVA that you did not want to do that long term. Yeah, or at least that um, I didn't know. I mean, I didn't know what else to do. But yeah, I, I always felt like I was all the time through the engineering school. I was hoping I would figure out what it is I wanted to do before it was too late. <laughs> and then before I know it, you know, the years have gone by and now I'm working as an engineer and, you know, still trying to figure out how to not be an engineer. And, um, yeah, but it was never, there was never, uh, I you know, this must happen to, to tons of kids, maybe most kids that, you know, you've got to pick something to major in, but it's an insurance do, policy. effectively. Yeah. And how do you know what you want to do when you're that young, you know? It's no tough. clue. And yeah. any kid that says they do know, I mean, and there are exceptions to this, of but course. most of them have no clue what yeah. they want to do. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm 54, and I still don't know what I want yeah, to do. Yeah, I don't know what I want to do. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> it's kind of nice not, it not being on this path that your parents or those in your community expected you to do. Yeah, I mean, it's nice also to know that, you know, you have this feeling when you're younger that everyone else has figured it out, and you're the one who doesn't know. And so I think it's a good message to put out there that none of us know. And everybody's faking it. Yeah. And so that you know, everyone who who feels like you're you're still trying to figure out what you're doing in life, it's okay. You know, yeah, it's, it's everyone, all okay. Everyone's in the same place as you. Uh, yeah, I plan to die not knowing what I yeah. what I should have done. <laughs> yeah. and, and I'm okay with it. I like that you planned it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I I am. I, yeah. I I've lived enough of life to think. I mean, I'm not going to discover my magical path at age 62. I'm yeah. Just, I, I just don't, don't yeah, there is no magical path. I guess that's the real lesson. Yeah, you, you don't point. need to have. You don't need to know. What was your experience uh, at UVA outside of the academic experience? You know, really, I think that was the. I think that was really the valuable part about going to college. You know, we like, especially as as price of college has gone up and up and up over the years. You know, we've come to think of it as only having value as a thing that helps you get a job, um, but I feel like most of what's valuable about it is just, you know, meeting a much broader spectrum of people than you're going to meet just in your one hometown. You know, you start to meet people from around the country, from around the world, and... You become worldly because of it. You become worldly. You just, you know, you're just exposed to so many more ideas than you would be otherwise, just from taking electives in a different department or just, you know, the fact that you're put in a dorm room with people from all over the place. Um, It's just a way of really expanding your understanding of what the world is or or letting you know that there's so much more to the world than you could ever understand and um kind of it makes you in awe of the world a little bit in that way um you know if you 
if you just grow up in one place and do one thing, maybe you kind of start to think you have everything figured out. And it's nice to know that the world's way, way bigger than you. And you're, you know, there's always going to be things to learn about and discover and um, makes things feel kind of magical in that way. Uh, and if you've only lived in the same town and worked in the same town or the same general vicinity, the rest of the world's pretty scary. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Um, I think that's a really good point. And, you know, that applies to whether it's going to college or just traveling somewhere, you know, anything that gets you out of your comfort zone um, really starts to teach you that all these things that seemed scary aren't. They're not at all. Yeah. And, and so we're going to come back to this, of course, but you, you've you walked 98, 99% of the, the streets of New York. And when I say streets, I, I, I should use air quotes because you've, you've walked cemeteries, you've walked shorelines. Right. Um, and, and you've been in every, I've watched a lot of TV in my life and there have been thousands of shows based in New York City. And a lot of them say that you should be scared of parts of the city. Definitely. Uh, and, and you've walked all the streets and you've not been yeah, I, I harmed have, one time, right? That's right. Yeah, I've never been mugged or anything like that. Um, I mean, you're right. You know, you start to see what, what, what it is that drives TV ratings and things. And, you know, things have to be portrayed a certain way because that's what draws people's attention. And, you know, I mean... If you hear about a city on the news these days, it's usually about how crime's so high and, you know, it's kind of just in someone's financial interest to paint that city as a super dangerous place. And then that makes people go, oh, my God, this is terrifying. I got to tell my friends to watch this thing. And, you know, it just builds on itself. Yeah, I guess it sells. I guess people make money by doing yeah. that. But it's, uh, I don't know. I, part of me enjoys that entertainment and part of me says it's completely made up and it's fiction but muggings do happen of course yeah it's not it's not completely made up it's just you know based on a little bit of reality and then blown out of proportion so when you walk into a part of town that would scare the average person who's either from new york or, or not from new york are you intentionally trying to disarm people as you're walking through or are you more reactive um, yeah, I think that over the years, and you know, I mean, when I first moved to New York, people would tell me, you know, so so I moved to New York, and I was I was still working as a civil engineer for a number of years while I was living there, and um, so you know, we I was like a, a roadway engineer, you know, streets and highways and mm. stuff like that, um, and so that just kind of took me to neighborhoods all over the city because the company oh. I was working for, you know, just did different projects here and there, and I'd have to go various places, and. Um, you know, a lot of them were in neighborhoods that people at work would tell me, you know, be careful, this neighborhood's really dangerous, you know. And so when you first move to a place and people tell you that, you believe them because, you know, what do you know? You just move there. They're the experts. Yeah. And so, you know, I really had the experience of going from like being very scared of certain places, you know, I mean, just to speak frankly, you know, as a white guy, they were saying, you know, this is a black neighborhood. You're a white guy. Sure. It's dangerous there. You know, yeah. that that's the kind of ideas we have in our head and um so you know it there was a, a progression over my life of like being scared and then starting to realize well now i've had to interact with this person this person and like they're all really the same they're just also trying to go to work and you know take care of their family and do like all the exact things that every other person in the world's trying to do um and so i think it's kind of just a natural process of becoming more comfortable because you understand that you're the same as everybody else. And then um, that makes you, you know, that just naturally makes you more confident in a place because you start to understand that you're not really different from anybody else. And then that, you know, that confidence 
changes the way that you project yourself and that probably makes people more comfortable with you being mm. there and so it's kind of it's a hard thing to just fake acting a certain way it just becomes natural to realize that you're not scared and that in and of itself kind of makes you disarming to people that you know if you seem comfortable somewhere people are comfortable with you yeah and so it kind of mutually happens you know between you and the environment you're in and you're coming from a positive place yeah you know um the way you just said that made me think of um kind of my my greatest inspiration um in all my walking i didn't i didn't learn about her until um after i'd done my cross-country walk but there was a woman um i think her birth name was uh mildred norman and she um you know she had a, a just i think a fairly normal life um and I think she'd been married and then, you know, got divorced. And when she was 45 years old, this was in 1953, um, she kind of had ditched her previous identity. She just renamed herself Peace Pilgrim. She got rid of everything. That <laughs> this she, is the 50s. Yeah, this is 1953, a 45-year-old woman. Renamed herself Peace Pilgrim. She got rid of everything she owned, like all her money, everything, except the clothes she was wearing and the things in her pockets. And she decided she was going to walk across America. She had this idea that, um, you know, the reason we don't have peace in the world is because people are not at peace with themselves. Mm. You know, we, we have this inner turmoil and that leads us to getting into conflict with other people because we're not at peace with who we are ourselves. And so her idea was, I'm going to walk across America. I don't have anything. I'm just going to walk until people offer me a place to stay or something to eat. Otherwise... I'm just going to sleep beside the road and I'll fast until someone gives me food. And anyone who stops to talk to me, I'm just going to talk to them about my ideas for how to find peace in the world. And so she was, you know, completely dependent on the kindness of strangers. And so she starts, I think if I remember correctly, I think she started marching in the Rose Bowl parade on like <laughs> January 1st, 1953. I wish I knew this lady. I know. <laughs> and, and then she, you know, turns east and, and had, makes her way across America. And she makes it all the way across America without a cent to her name. And then she just turns around and does this again and again for the rest of her life. The, the, the last 28 years of her life, she just spends walking back and forth and around America talking to people about peace. People are just taking her in, taking care of her. Um, and so as you can imagine, she has you know accrued a lot of wisdom over that time. And um, one of the things she said that, that sticks with me the most is she said, um, I think this is the exact quote, that the world is like a mirror. If you smile at it, it smiles back at you. And that gets to what you were saying about like bringing a lot of positivity into you know interactions with strangers because what her mirror quote made me realize is that you know, a lot of times if you meet someone on the street, you think that you're just experiencing that person, right? If it goes well, that's a nice person. If it doesn't go well, like that person's a jerk. But you are half of the interaction. Mm. So if that person's 5% nice person and 95% jerk and you're 100% nice person, you get the majority of that you, interaction you to be positive. Yeah. yeah. So I do think that's a really important point that we don't think about. We we think about, especially when you travel, you think you're in someone else's world and you're just experiencing their world. But you can bring a lot of positivity to all those interactions and, and take a lot that may have been on the fence. It could have gone positively or negatively. And just by your own energy and your own, you know, your own personality, you can kind of make it a good interaction. Imagine if everybody came in with 100% positivity, you'd have 200% positivity. <laughs> I know, exactly, exactly. I mean, how powerful is that? Exactly, it is. It, it, powerful is the right word too, you know, because in some ways it doesn't seem powerful because you're just being kind of, in some ways, meek 
you know, letting the other person take control. Like you're just, you're there to listen. You're there to ask questions, to show them that you care about them and, and, you know, let them be the dominant force in the interaction. But, but it actually is very powerful. You know, you have, we have a lot of control over that that we don't realize a lot of times. And that interaction, I mean, you're an entity, you're, you're together in, in that moment. Exactly. So it's not about right. one versus the that's, other. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. You, you kind of combine into, into one thing for the course of that interaction. Whether it's a minute or 20 minutes or whatever it exactly. is. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, you never know how, I mean, a, a minute of a person having a positive interaction with you can change your day. Yeah. You know? It can make it can make your day go from crappy to great. Yeah, absolutely. Or maybe even put somebody on a, a different path. Yeah. I mean, I can't tell you how many times just a 30-second interaction I've had with someone who just said something funny to me on the street, like, makes my day so much better. And you think about it all day. Like, you have to text your friend because it was such a funny thing. And, like, it just sets you off in this whole great path for the rest of your day. Yeah, but, uh, it, but you can't manufacture it, right? That's that, right. It has to happen naturally. Yeah, that's right. All right, so... I love the Peace Pilgrim story, uh, and I love the, the mirror analogy. Are you thinking about a name change? <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. I can't. Uh, I, I gotta wait till I got a good one before I start putting it out there. I, I, she, she seemed like she uh, was amazing in a lot of different ways, but she's also pretty good at marketing. Yeah, I mean, she and in a very subtle way, you know. I mean, she. She had like a jacket. I've seen photos. I don't know if she wore it from the very start of her walk or not. Um, but she just had a, a basically a jacket that she always wore. And, you know, she had her. I mean, she, the things in her pockets was just like, you know, a comb and a toothbrush and like pen and paper, like most basic stuff. But her jacket on the back of it said, um, you know, something like walking across America for peace or walking X number of miles for peace or something like that. That was her um, brand. Yeah. 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 But, you know. I mean, this was obviously way before the internet existed. Um, so, you know, she was kind of word of mouth spread about her. That's something I learned in my cross country walk. Um, you know, you move so slow on foot. So if you're in a, in a rural area, which almost all of America is, you know, you draw any line across America, most of that line is, is rural. You might run into two cities. Exactly. Exactly. So like the vast majority of my walk across America was rural areas. So there'd be like, a town with a main road that ran through it. And so the amount of time it takes me to walk on that main road, pass through the town, get out the other side of the town, most people who live around there have probably passed me on the road four times in their car because it takes a couple days to get all the way through there on foot. So people start to, you know, wonder who you are. They start to talk to each other. There'd be the people who'd stop and they just want to know what I was doing, you know, probably so that they could tell their friend who the weird guy is. <laughs> I'm, you know? I'm now in the know. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, um, so I think that that kind of thing probably happened with Peace Pilgrim, where like people were like, "I got to know who this woman is," um, and so that is a way of you it's know powerful word is, of mouth. Yeah, it is. It is. And she would get, um, you know, she would get it on invited on a lot of radio shows or TV programs, you know, just to talk about what she was doing, and she'd take all those opportunities because you know, again, her whole kind of mission in life was just to to spread the idea of of how to find you know inner peace. Um, and so she would always be taking these opportunities to go talk to people. And another thing I, I really remember about her that always struck me was, you know, she'd get invited on like some of the morning radio shows. It's like the zoo crew kind of. And, you know, they'd invite her and just thinking we'll make fun of this silly lady and like all our listeners will have a good chuckle. And from my understanding, just um, her, 
she, there's a book about Peace Pilgrim that some of her friends put out after she died. Um, and they'll, you can actually just write to them and they'll send you a copy of it for free. And it's, oh, well. a, it's a compilation of, you know, she never wrote a book, but it's a compilation of articles she wrote, interviews with her, biographical information. It's a kind of a mishmash of stuff about her. And one thing I remember reading in that book was that, um, so she'd go on these radio shows and they'd kind of try to poke fun at her, you know, this crazy hippie lady. And they just find it impossible to make fun of her because she believed so strongly what she was doing. There was no weakness. There was no insecurity in her. So whatever they'd ask her, even if it was some kind of leading question that was just supposed to make her sound silly, she'd just kind of try to answer it generously and, you know, try to help them in answering it. You know, she'd try to help them find find their their own inner peace. They became enamored with yeah. her. Yeah. So, so she did have a lot of, uh, you know, it seemed like she's just doing such a simple thing, but there's a lot to it. Um, when you when you start to kind of delve into into what she was doing, I'm going to awkwardly jump back to college. So your your insurance policy of getting an engineering degree <laughs> yeah. became an engineering job, still an insurance policy because that you knew that was not the path. When did you start daydreaming about walking across the country? Um, I guess I'd you know I'd always had different thoughts about what else I could be doing beside engineering, and um, you know I just never. It's hard, you know, when you have when you have a job that's a fine job, right? It's not it's not like it was terrible to go to work every day. So nothing about my job forced me out of it. It was just each day was fine. But when I think about if I was still doing this twenty years from now, then I that'd make me feel kind of bad. But you know, so I, I kept having ideas about what else I could do, but not following through on them because it's easy enough to keep going to work and it's oh, yeah. a reliable paycheck and all that. Um, so I think the walking thing probably, um, you know, I mean, I, I I did a lot of walking around New York. That was kind of my thing I would do in my free time. Um, you know, for me, it was like getting to New York and looking at the subway map and the subway system so huge in New York. You know, it's massive. It doesn't quite cover the whole city, but it still covers a huge amount of land. And so looking at, you know, especially the stations way out at the ends of the line, you know, they seemed like these kind of mythical places and i'd want to get out there and like see what that place looks like on foot and so over the years i started doing a lot of walking around the city and um you know that started making me think like instead of spending all day just walking in new york what if i put together a bunch of these all day walks and i walked somewhere really far away instead of just you know always looping back around within the same city so um yeah it was maybe like 2007 or 8 i probably started thinking just vaguely think i just have these images in my head while i was at my desk of like walking across the great plains or something you know the sun's low in the sky and there's the you know amber fields of what is it amber fields of grain of wheat whatever the phrase is from the song um uh you know all around me and um a couple american flags waving yeah exactly you know some some bald eagles flying overhead screeching dropping american pies on my lap um but yeah, so I, you know, I had this kind of image, I guess, first, and then I do remember um, it must have been like spring of two thousand eight. Um, I just had the the kind of concrete thought of what it, could I walk across America? Is that a thing I could do? And I because I remember because I I looked it up on my computer at work, and I, I was like, is this something you can do? Can you walk across America? And I found the website of this guy Gary House, and uh, he had done it. And it's one of those things where, like, you're not sure if something's possible, and then you hear that one person did it, and all of a sudden your brain changes and says, okay, now it's possible. Now I can do it. You know, 
it's not any more or less possible because he did it. But now that you know it's possible, everything seems different. Um, so, uh, yeah, so that that it was about spring of 2008. And um, what I the thing that kind of, I think, allowed me to actually do this walk as opposed to all the other half-baked ideas I had had before was that I gave myself an actual deadline. I said, okay, one year from today, I have to have either found a new job or like figured out very clearly a new field, you know, a new career path. If I haven't done those things a year from now, I have to quit my job and I have to do this walk. And I told... How old were you at the time? uh, 20, I guess, almost 28. Um, And so I told all my friends about this plan. So that kind of put the peer pressure on me. It became real. Yeah. So then when the year came and went, and I, of course, hadn't done anything to find a new job, I told all these people that... Hey, I'm going to be quitting my job. It seemed safe at the time. You know, a year. I got sure, a year. I'm gonna, I'll find a new job in a year. I'm not going to have to do this. But then, you know, I hadn't done anything. And so so spring of 2009 came around and I I quit. Um, and it ended up taking basically another year to kind of get everything together for the cross-country walk, get over my fear of doing it. Um, and then, yeah, be- spring of 2010 is when I started out on that walk. And it took you, you planned for nine months, but it took you five months. Took five months. Yeah, I thought I thought it could take me up to nine months. I was trying to figure out kind of the sweet spot of when to do it where, you know, I, the, the main thing weather-wise I was concerned about is being on like icy roads and cars sliding into me and hitting me. So, you know, I had to, I couldn't start right in the winter in New York. I had to wait until I knew I wasn't likely going to hit a snowstorm. And then I had to kind of time it so that I could get past the Rocky Mountains before the snows hit there. That was kind of the window I was figuring. Is that why you took the northern route? Um, well, I just I was going to be walking through summer, so I just wanted to hmm. try to avoid the hottest of the hot weather. Um, but also, you know, I, I I knew I was going to be starting at Rockaway Beach. That's a beach in, in Queens, um, in New York City. And it's kind of our, like, in New York City, it's the, the most... The beach that's like most out on the open ocean mm. so i definitely wanted to start there and i wasn't sure where i was going to go and i was just looking at maps of the pacific coast and uh i saw there's a town in oregon called rockaway beach the symmetry is hard to pass yeah on. so i said okay that's definitely where i'm going so that in and of itself kind of set me on a, a bit of a northern route um and i also wanted to go visit my brother in chicago on the way so that locked in to some extent where i was going to be walking was chicago the only city you you hit um, no, I, I went through, let's see. So, you know, left New York. Um, Chicago was like the first major city I hit. Um, I also went through Madison, Wisconsin. Okay. Kind of smallish, but still big, you know, pretty major city. I went through Minneapolis mm. um, and then Portland, Oregon. Okay. Um, those were the, the major cities I walked through. And you went through those states in the summer, you said? Yeah. I, mm-hmm. you, I don't think you could do it in the winter. That, yeah, that uh, would be tough. I mean, it would be tough both just the physical conditions, but also just the danger of, you know, being on the road when there's not, you know, there's, I mean, I, you know, I was worried enough about hit, getting hit by a car anyway. That was my, that was my main fear in the whole walk more than like people attacking me or bears or whatever, you yeah. know, there were kind of more, those are more visceral things that other people I think were worried about when I told them about what I was going to be doing. But I think realistically the, the biggest danger is just a car hitting you. Do and you worry so about cars now. Um, yeah, I mean, to, I think to a healthy degree, you don't, you don't want to ever let your guard down on that. Um, you can't be oblivious. To yeah, them. exactly. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't live in fear of them, but, um, 
you know, you always want to keep in mind that there are things that weigh two tons that are flying down the road right next to you. They're, so. they're going to win. Yeah, they're going to win. Yeah. Uh, I mean, as much as people are on their phones texting all that while they're driving, yeah. mo- most people are decent drivers. Um, but not all of them. But definitely not all. <laughs> definitely not all. Yeah. But I, I haven't had any particularly close calls. You don't own a car, right? Or do you? I do, actually. Okay. I, it's it's my parents' old car, um, but I use it as like a storage unit. Um, <laughs> this is now like ridiculous. Oh, I lo- I'm so yeah. glad I asked this question. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of a silly thing. Like it, it really shouldn't make sense for me to have a car that I don't really drive that's basically just a trunk on wheels for me to keep extra stuff in. Like I can keep my off-season clothes in there. I have camping stuff in there, you know, yeah. things that like I don't necessarily need, but it makes life a little easier. And because you can park on the street for free, it just economically makes sense, which is dumb. Like there shouldn't be like I shouldn't be subsidized by taxpayers to build these roads and for me to be able to leave a car for free on them with stuff in the trunk. It's so stupid. But until they change it, like it is it's it too is, attractive yeah. not to do. Yeah. So. I would be like in New York. There's so much public space taken up by cars just sitting there that people are not paying for. Which I think I think people should have to pay to park their cars. There's very valuable real estate. You pay for everything else. Yeah, I mean that those things that those spaces could be parks for people. Like they could be so many great yeah. things. So I'm in favor of not being allowed to do what I'm doing. <laughs> but until they change it, it just makes too much sense not to do it. It'll be ironic yeah, until they change. Exactly. You know, I should like I should have to have a storage unit or something or just not have this stuff. Like that's the way it should be, but it's not. It's silly. Uh, am I the first person that figured that out? Um, not the first, but yeah, mo- I think I mean reasonably you would assume I don't have a car cuz it wouldn't seem to make any sense. But yeah. Your brand is uh yeah, yeah. not anti-car, but certainly not. A little bit. A little bit. I mean, yeah. Like I don't I don't like the I don't like that I have the car. You know, it's just like it makes the most sense because it's a place I can store stuff and I can move it around when I need to yeah, and like, yeah. you know, it it's it it works for me, but it shouldn't. <laughs> That's uh amazing. Yeah. What, what did you learn about people on your cross-country trip? Oh man, so much. Um well, let me just kind of fill in a little of the backstory, I sure. guess. Um So the the basic idea of my walk was um you know, I have this cart that I'm pushing all my stuff in. Um, this is an idea I got from from Gary House, the guy I mentioned to it, the first guy I heard it's, about. It's like a stroller. It's a stroller. It's a jogging stroller, but without the stroller seat. So it's the frame of a jogging stroller. And I put a little wooden platform on the bottom of it. And I had like a big, I don't remember, 20 gallon or whatever it is, like a big plastic container on it that had most of my stuff and, you know, kept everything dry in the rain. And then I had a few other little bags and a little cooler and stuff things like that on it. So I'm pushing this cart across America and um, I'd walk until, you know, it'd get late in the day. Was, it, th- was there any fanfare when you left Rockaway Beach, New York? Um, I had, so I had started a walking group in New York um, a couple years before I left. And so um, I would just post about it on this like email list and random people would show up and they do, they'd come out for like a 20 mile walk on a Saturday through some other neighborhood that, you know, we hadn't been to before. So over the years, um, I met a lot of a lot of people through that. Um, so I had a big group of friends who were also big walkers by the time I started out on the cross-country walk. So, um, so yeah, a bunch of my friends were there for the first day of the walk. 
you know, and New, and New York's such a big city, and if you're starting all the way in Rockaway Beach, it's, you know, it took me two days just to get out of New York City. It's amazing. Um, because of the way the the bridges are and stuff, you have to walk, like, all the way up to the George Washington Bridge, the very northern part of Manhattan, to get out of New York City. So that first day in New York, I had a bunch of friends with me. Um, and then after that, it was, you know, more solitary. Um, but, but, yeah, so the idea was... Uh, you know, I'll walk until it gets late in the day, and then I'll just start knocking on people's doors and asking if I could camp in their yards. And you had never asked anybody to do something like that beforehand. I had done a little, like, a practice run on a bicycle. Um, okay. A friend and I took, like, a maybe it was a four-day bike trip, and I was like, let me test this theory out. And, you know, this way we'll be on bikes, so, like, if it's really hard to find a place to stay, you know, we can we can probably cover a lot more ground and get to a lot more houses and eventually find somewhere to stay. And it worked like a charm that, so the very first day of the bike trip, it was this really rainy day. And, you know, it was finally into the day, the rain had stopped, but it was like, we didn't really, um, you know, we were just a little worried about, we we're going to be soaking wet all night. Like, you know, it'd be so nice if we could find somewhere, maybe a little bit dry to stay. And, we we biked by this farm farmhouse and um there was like maybe a little i can't remember maybe like a little barn out in the yard or something anyway it looked like maybe this would be a good place we could stay um and we go up and knock on the door and this like giant loud dog comes flying down the stairs (laughs) and i was like oh my god is this what it's gonna be like but then like right after the dog this young woman in like pigtails comes like skipping down the stairs and opens the door and we're like, Oh, we're, we're uh, doing this bike ride. Is there any way we could camp here? And she's like, Oh yeah, you could stay here. Come on in. I'm going to my friend's house for dinner. You guys want to come with me? Yeah. You could take, take showers first, warm up, dry off your clothes. And like, it's the lottery of, yeah. of asking. Yeah. And it was that. like the first try, the first time I'd ever tried this. And it just was like that. And so that gave me some faith that this will work out. Um, so, yeah, so so I, I I but I had this idea that walking across America, I thought, okay, maybe I'll have to knock on ten doors each night to find a place to stay. Like I I have faith that one in ten people will let me stay with them, and it ended up being so much easier. It was like three out of four people, seventy five percent yeses. Um, so most of the time, I just knock on one door and I got a place to stay. Um, did, did you ever form a profile for what would be more successful or likely to be successful? All I tried to do, I just realized that if, if I just acted with confidence and I, you know, you want to go the short and sweet kind of spiel. You don't want to like talk on and on. That makes people start to wonder where you're coming from. I would just, I'd say the same thing every night, a big smile on my face. And I'd say, Hey, I'm Matt. I'm walking across America. Would you mind if I camp in your yard for the night? (laughs) And you know, the, the kind of typical response would be the person would be like a little bit confused. But they'd be like, uh, well, I guess you could, sure. And then they'd kind of, you know, walk out in the yard and kind of figure out where's a good place to put a tent. And, we, you know, we'd be talking while we're doing that. And I'd open up my cart and take my tent out. And they'd see that I have, like, actual camping stuff in there and not, you know, dead bodies or machine guns or anything. And so it's like, you know, within a few minutes, they're like, oh, okay, this is actually kind of cool. Like, it was a little weird at first, but this is kind of interesting. A guy's walking across America. He's staying at my house. Like, Oh, you know what? I bet he, I bet he's hungry. Like, let me invite him in for dinner. And so a lot of times it would unfold like that a little bit gradually. And we'd go from like confusion or maybe a little bit of wariness to like, 
hey, why don't you come in? Like, we'll have dinner together. And, oh, I bet you must need to take a shower. How would they know I need to take a shower? Who knows? Uh, you know, some people let me do my laundry there. Like, sometimes people would, you know, they'd invite me in for breakfast the next morning. They'd pack me a lunch for the next day. Um, and, you know, these would be people from all across all the spectrums, the political spectrum, you know, the religious spectrum. I mean, most of rural America is white, but, you know, sure. diff- people of all different races I, I, I met on my walk, too. Um, and, you know, like I was talking about earlier, it's, you do start to understand how how much more in common we all have. And, you know, we have differences, but there's so much on the surface compared to just what it is to be a human. I mean, that's the bulk of our experience that we all share. And... I started to realize that there were so many of the people I was staying with, if if all that I knew about them was their political views, I would have a certain opinion about them. And I realized that most strangers in the world, you know, you don't know that much about them. You hear they voted for this person or they believe this thing and your brain just puts them in a bucket right away. Either like that's a good person or that's a bad person. And you know, we write people off so quickly. You learn one thing about them. You're like, what a, what a jerk. Like, that's what's wrong with America. You know, people like that. And I had so many of those people who maybe that's what I would have said about them. But they took me into their house. They took this stranger into their house and fed him dinner. And, you know, sometimes they'd say terrible things in the course of this. They'd say something really racist. And so, I, but I have to realize, like, all these things can exist within one person. Like, a yeah. person can seem really offensive to you and also seem like the most generous person in the world and you can't always decide if a person's good or bad like we're all such a jumbled mix of humanity and you just have to accept that like there are people who do good and bad at the same time like for example me or you or all of us like we all all want to do better and you know we we all have things we're good at and great things we've done we've all had things we're ashamed of and you know we just it's hard to internalize that that lesson and that was probably the biggest thing I learned on my walk is that we all have the capacity for incredible generosity. And, and everyone was showing that to me on my walk. I mean, so many people were just taking care of me and it wasn't just the people that I was asking for help, you know, asking if I could stay with them, knocking on their door. People would just see this. I looked crazy, right? I had a jog. I was pushing a jogging stroller. I had a reflective vest on. I had this like ridiculous doofy hat on to keep the sun off my face. I had this sign on the front of my cart. It said, we may never meet again. <laughs> I'd gotten this idea from this friend of like, you know, it's kind of a beautiful idea that like, you know, we this might be our only we interaction. Should, we should cherish yeah. this moment, yeah. But, you know, it could read it, you know, just seeing someone with that on a cart like probably looks pretty crazy. And, and I would have thought, you know, on average, people are probably going to be wary of me. Like, I don't, you know, I look like a nutball. People would just stop their cars and like offer me food or money. People would just they just say like this guy looks like he needs help. Let me help him. Like what a what an amazing thing that yeah. we don't think we don't think that exists in America. Oh, it absolutely exists. Yeah, it's, like it just and, doesn't sell. Yeah, That's the exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean it was it wasn't even just the people I was asking for help were helping me. The people I didn't ask would just say that guy looks like he needs help. Um, and yeah, that just reminded me that like every i mean outside of like you know true psychopaths that everybody has the capacity and desire to help other people like it makes us feel good to do it and that exists across all political divides and ideological divides and um man i like just you know over the past six ten whatever years 
having those experiences as our countries become more politically polarized has been it's just helped keep me sane to remember like there's so many things pushing us apart but like when you get out there and have an actual physical experience in the world with other people that's when you remember how much we have in common and how much the divides we have are are kind of manufactured by by people and parties with their own interests that are manipulating us for for power, power and, yeah. or money or what yeah. Yeah, or but, both but individual humans want to help each other and, and be kind to each other so your assessment of humanity by the end of your cross country journey was sounds pretty positive very positive yeah like we we have the capability to do terrible things but i don't think that's our natural instinct you know i think divorce uh, you know lacking those circumstances that that push us to be at our worst i think we're all pretty good underneath other than the psychopaths yeah other than <laughs> even them you gotta you gotta have sympathy for them too. and you don't they, know they they're a psychopath it. until they prove that's that right they're a psychopath. that's right uh was anybody at rockaway beach oregon when you finished yes um some so I, you know i had a blog that i was keeping on my walk and i just you know i it was fairly simple i just post some photos from my you know that was 2010 so i just got my first smartphone right so i could take photos and post them and do all that while amazing, i was walking right? it was amazing yeah. yeah um and so people started following that blog and some are you know one of the people or some of the people um got in touch with like the ch chamber of commerce in rockaway beach oregon <laughs> so they had this little party for me they had this beautiful cake with like an outline of the United States in my path, oh, like marked really cool. on it. That's great. They like cook, you know, had like a cookout on the on the uh, like a barbecue out on the beach when we finished. So yeah, that's really cool. It was really nice. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a good way to finish that. Yeah, it's very like small town pride. Oh kind of thing, man, you know? Which, I, I was worried you were just gonna. It was kind of you by yourself. Yeah, there I mean, like, in I some ways that that would have been nice too. Uh, to just be, it's t it's tough because it you know. It, it's not really a, a triumphant thing when you end a journey like that. Like it's the end point, but it's not like anything's changed, you know? And it's nice sometimes to just have some quiet time to reflect on what's happened to you. Cause you're an introvert. Yeah. 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 I am very much. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's it's nice to have a small town come out and just be excited and show you a lot of love. I, I mean, the mean, smile yeah. on your face. I mean, our yeah, listening audience yeah. can't see it. It's yeah. making me think of Ashland. You know, it's the kind yeah. of thing Ashland would do. Yeah, so, absolutely. Uh, so yeah, it was it was nice. Very cool. Uh, all right, so you went to New York for a job. It sounds like. Yeah, a job and kind of tied in with that. Um, the woman I was dating at the time was going to be in school there, so okay. we kind of. I, I actually worked in um, in Northern Virginia for like a year out of college, and then was able to transfer within my company and and she was just starting school there at that time so, so. You, you moved to new york for a girl yeah okay. yeah 2005 okay did you fall in love with the city yeah definitely um yeah it took a few months you know it's such a i mean i, I was coming from northern virginia and like it spent time you know in dc and so it's not hugely different from dc but it, it is a good bit bigger and and um you know, it takes time to just adjust, especially coming from a little town, spending almost all my life, you know, in, in the little town. Your dad's actually. from New York, though, right? My dad's from Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, do you have family up there? Uh, I have some cousins still up there. Most, like, my dad's um, father immigrated to New York and his, his mother's parents did. So when he was growing up, all the family was, was around. You know, they, they'd all come through Ellis Island. And um, so there was a really big family contingent there when he was growing up. And I still have some cousins there. Um, but, you know, a lot of a lot of our, our families moved out in the years since. So uh, you're, I had mentioned earlier, you're at 98, 99% walking, mm -hmm. like 
ridiculous. I can't even fathom walking all of New York City. Has anybody else done this, by the way? There's a guy, um, Bill Helmrich, who um, he, I didn't learn about him till a couple years into my walk. It's funny because when I started this, so, so this is the, you know, walking every, every block in all five boroughs of New York City, thousands of miles. Um, and, it, you know, maybe it sounds like a crazy thing to do, but when I was starting it, I was like, how is no one else doing this? Like, this is the greatest <laughs> idea in the world. And I was like, I'd look online. I'm like, how is nobody else doing this? And then I found a couple of years in, like another guy had been doing it also. Um, he had a little bit of a different kind of perspective on it. He was a sociologist, mm. um, you know, as a professor. And he wanted to like write, he ended up writing a book about the city and then also individual ones about each borough. Um, so he kind of had a, you know, this, this idea to do this walk and, and kind of create these books about, he called it, um, oh God, now I'm going to blank on it. Um, oh, the, it's called like the, the New York Nobody Knows. Um, so just just this idea of like the, 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 the parts of New York that don't make the media, you know, the, the parts you're not going to see on the news. Um, so anyway, eventually he and I met. Um, and so that was cool to, to meet someone who's doing, you know, I mean, we're both very similar and very different. So to meet someone doing the same thing, but kind of from their own point of view. Um, and he was, he was a good bit older. You know, he was in his, I guess he was in his late sixties when we met. Um, and he, uh, he died in the, in the pandemic actually. He was the, oh. back in the early days, March, 2020, he was the first person I knew who got COVID and, and, died. and died pretty early on. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, so that was pretty tragic. Um. But but you know I was so glad to have known him for the the years that I did. And he was walking paved streets of New York. You you're you expanded beyond that. Yeah into- yeah I I say walking every street just because otherwise it takes like an hour to describe <laughs> it. So that's kind of the, the streamlined version. But yeah, it's the idea is really like walk all the kind of public, open outdoor areas. Okay. So so yeah, it could mean beaches, boardwalks. You know, bridges, um, cemeteries, parks, just all these big spaces that may not have literal streets in them, but have places you can walk. Public access. Anywhere, public you, access anywhere or, you could go. Yeah, anywhere I could go. Because some of them are, there's public and private places, but if I can go there, then I count it. Do you go to private places? Yeah. Even, and though, there's, even though they may not want you there. Yes, yes. <laughs> then there's varying degrees. There's, there's private places that are open to the public. There's private places that are not open to the public, but don't care if the public goes there. There's private places that kind of care, but they don't care that much. Like there's a security guard, but I just walk in and the security guard's lazy and doesn't care. And you know, how dangerous could you actually? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So that, but that's the vague idea. Like, uh, you know, all the kind of publicly accessible places. So what's left to get to a hundred percent. Um, so it's a little bit spread out around the city. There's a couple of areas that I just haven't walked yet you know, a handful of like kind of full day walks, which might mean like, you know, 15, 20 mile walks to fill in a few gaps in the map. Um, But a lot of what's left is places that have been built since I started. Um, So, you know, it could be a a neighborhood that I walked 10 years ago. Now there's a new development there. You know, there's such a housing shortage in New York. There's all kinds of neighborhoods. Every that, time there's a new neighborhood built, it just adds to the, the yeah, distance. Yeah. That's, I mean, if, and people say, well, well, couldn't you just make a rule that you don't have to? Well, and I'm like, have to? Like, I want to. Like, this is 
Yeah. Like, that's what's great. This, this is what I do. I don't I have to do any of this. Like, <laughs> this is just me making up an insane thing to do in my life. Like, I don't have to do it. Um, so I love I love doing it. It's like a good, a good reason to go back to a place that I'd been before and I quote unquote finished it. Um, but now now I can go back and kind of see what it looks like these days. Um, and, you know, other places are like cemeteries, for example. When I first started, I'd kind of just make a nominal like loop through the cemetery and say, okay, I walk the cemetery. And then the year since I thought like, I should walk those cemeteries more carefully, not necessarily every path. Cause the paths in the cemetery, are, like way more dense than the street network. Right. Um, but you know, I want to fill in, I want to fill in the map more in that cemetery. So just the other day, like before I came down to Virginia, um, there's a cemetery called St. Michael's cemetery where, um, Scott Joplin, the the guy who wrote the Entertainer, he's buried there. Um, I had known about that when I first walked it. I had just done like one little loop through the cemetery, so I went back there to kind of fill in the fill in the picture more. Um, visit Scott Joplin. Um, there was a uh, there was a funeral going on there, and there were you know a bunch of cars parked there, and like a third of them were taxi cabs. And it turns out the guy who died was a was a taxi driver, uh-huh. so a lot of his you know fellow drivers were there. Um, you know, to, to, to see him off. Very New um, York. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was the first time I'd seen that. Um, so yeah, this always, you know, it's not like I have to go back and do anything. It's just, it's always good. And, and I find like the, the more pointless something seems, um, you know, let me give you an example. Um, so there was this park in Staten Island that, uh, it had originally, it was going to be part of the, the street grid and there were going to be houses and stuff built there and they had actually built the streets and some of the infrastructure like you know water, uh, drains and fire hydrants and that kind of stuff yep and then it just never got built and um i don't know if it, it it was either turned back to the city or maybe the city owned it all along whatever it was they eventually just decided this will be parkland and we'll just kind of abandon these streets and so there's this park with like these decades old crumbling streets in it. And it's almost all gone, but some of the curbs still there, you know, some of the concrete, you can still find the streets within the park. It's it was just the, woods. It was in the documentary, right? This one was not, was not. but I know what you're talking about. Yeah. That's a different, yeah, a different yeah. abandoned area. Yeah. yeah, that one's down by the beach. Gotcha. Um, this one is way less obvious. Like it's almost all, it's been decades, you know, it's almost all taken over by forest now, but you can kind of find the curb and you can kind of walk some of the old streets. And I was like, well, I'm walking streets. Let me try to walk all the streets in this park. And I'm doing it. And some of them are a little more obvious than others. Some are, it's really hard to figure out where the street was. You kind of look here and there. Oh, you find something. Oh, there's like a, I don't remember. There's a fire hydrant or whatever. Some sign that like, okay, I'm still on the street. And part of my brain is like, why are you doing this? Like, these aren't streets. Why are you spending so much time trying to find these like fake streets inside this park? And like, you know, I had other walking I had to finish before it got dark that day. And I'm like, should I really be spending this much time trying to find these old streets? And every time I think that, every time I think, like, am I wasting time? I always then come upon something that I wouldn't have found if I hadn't been doing that. And so I'm walking down this, like, phantom phantom street. And off to my right, there's, like, this this kind of pathway defined by, on each side of the pathway, there's, like, um, these lines, these, like, uh, almost sculptural forms of like fallen tree branches and stuff. Someone's like put them all together and like paved this path with them. So they're mm. like lining both sides of the path, these big woven like tree branches that had fallen. This is in the winter. So like there's no greenery. Um, 
So I start just seeing what this path's all about. So I start following this winding path between these tree branches. And the the tree branches lining the path start getting more and more ornate. Like they start, they're tall, they're like woven together and they start getting tall. Like they're, I know this is a terrible description. They're like almost like sculptures. These wooden sculptures of tree branches start rising up off of the ground and they swirl around and they end up at this like structure someone's built in the middle of this abandoned park. It's like a little hut made out of a million tree branches. They, I mean, I don't know how long it would have taken someone just to collect all this wood that they used to build this thing. And it was just like just someone's little hangout or art project or something, you know. And I never would have found this thing if I hadn't been walking these like disappearing roads that existed 50 years ago in and this i park. imagine you were the fifth person to even know it existed yeah exactly except you know it was this blew my mind um some years later uh i was doing this thing on reddit ask me anything where like they have someone come in and usually it's you know or at least the more popular ones would be some public figure you know a celebrity or or an expert in some field or something and they do ask me anything, which means all the users can just ask them any question they want and they'll try to answer as many of them as they can. So I was doing one of these about walking to New York City and I tell the story about this park and some guy's like, oh, I think I've seen that before. And another person's like, tell me where it is. I'm gonna go try to find it. And by the end of the day, like someone, one of these users has gone out. I couldn't even remember the name of the park. And he went out and found the park and found the thing in the park and like sent photos of it. And I was just amazed. Yeah, it's unbelievable. But yeah, probably a very small number of people have ever found this thing because the park's not that used to begin with. And then to to just stumble upon this thing, probably, you know, what are the odds of of you finding that thing even if you do go in the park? Because it's a pretty big wooded park. And you have that experience and that memory. Yeah, the rest of your life. and that that but that's that's all just to say that's the kind of thing. Anytime I find myself thinking like, is this pointless what I'm doing? I immediately find something like, no, it's not pointless. Like, and that's taught me that you know, there's no kind of there's no wasted footstep in life. You know, every mm. every step you take, every every bit of effort you put into doing something, even if you don't know why, it, it's in the end it, it's rewarded. And you enjoy running into what most people I think take for granted as they're whizzing by in their car. Like you see a, a butterfly that probably nobody has recognized in weeks or months. You you take joy in taking the picture of it, and uh, the fact you discovered it, I imagine, is appealing to you as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, that is kind of the magic of walking, like of just going that slowly. You know, that's kind of the speed that our brains evolved to understand the world. In, mm. Right? We moved at walking speed up until very recently in human very history. Very recently. Yeah. So that's that's how we know how to be in the world when you're not moving any faster than you can and walk, and it's more enjoyable. Yeah, it's more enjoyable just because. That's when you can register what's going on around you. You know, in a car, in a car, you know, a, a field just looks like a field. A, you know, that's driving through farmland in a car can be pretty boring because it's just field, field, field. And on foot, it's like plant, butterfly, bird call, smell of cow manure. You know, rain on my rain falling on me, like all these things. You know, the world gets so much more like dense with information when you move slowly and you're not inside a vehicle. Uh, I, I have a feeling I know the answer to this question. Uh, when you started your cross-country trip, back to that trip real quickly, uh, did you touch the water? Yeah. And then you touched the water on the yeah, other side? Yeah, I had to, had to submerge myself in the ocean at either end. Really? Yeah. Completely? <laughs> Completely. <laughs> I was thinking you just like you put your... Dip a toe in yeah, or something. Yeah. <laughs> I'm all about the like polar bear swims. I've always loved doing that. You do you know, do that. those now? Yeah. Um, in fact... Um, 
a friend and I have this kind of semi-annual tradition in New York where we celebrate New Year's Eve by doing like a long walk and then we jump in the ocean at like Coney Island or something at the, you know, it's cool to, to celebrate the new year and a handful of other friends will come with us. So are you a cold shower guy? No, I'm not really into the cold showers. I like, I like plunging in the cold water, screeching and running out and drying <laughs> off. Getting, getting dry as quickly. Yeah, as possible. Yeah. yeah. I don't mind a nice warm shower though. I can. I'm a, I'm, I'm a wimp in that way. I'm definitely a warm shower. Guy. Yeah. No, yeah. No question. Yeah. Uh, do you have a, what's your fondest memory of walking the streets of New York? Ooh, you I may, don't know. And you I may mean, have just told me, but I don't. Yeah, it's just been so many years. I don't know that there's one. Um, How about recently? I mean, I could just tell you. Yeah. Well, here's this is a good story. I don't know. You know. This kind of, I guess, combines a few different aspects of it. Maybe that's why it's a good one. So, um, okay, so there's there's a neighborhood um, at the western end of Coney Island, which, you know, you've probably heard of Coney Islands being like the amusement park where they do the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest, all that. But, you know, it was a physical island at one point. Now it's connected to the rest of Brooklyn, so it's a peninsula, but whatever. It's a big, a big landmass. So um, at the very... Western end of it is a is a completely gated neighborhood, um, of I I have no idea. You know, it could be it's probably a few thousand people or something uh, lives in this like a small like town. A, a small town. Yeah. yeah, so big a big a big area, um, and it's it's really the only place of that size that's gated that's like fully gated in New York City. By which I mean like it's not just like there's a sign that says this is for residents only. Or like a guard booth where the guard doesn't care if you walk in. Like this place is entirely fenced off. And because it's at the end of the peninsula, you know, one long fence runs along it. And that physically separates it from all the other land. So to get in there, unless you like go around the fence at the end, you have to go through one of two entry points in the fence. And there are guards there and they're very serious and they won't let you come in. These are where all the powerful people in America live. Maybe used used to probably. It's like it's one of these. You know, it's evolved over time, and it's not—it's not as fancy as it sounds anymore. Gotcha. But it's, they still have the infrastructure to try to keep people out of it. Um, so anyway, it, there's other like small gated communities in New York where it's just a, a few streets, and like you know, they have a, a, a physical gate that you can't get through. Um, but this is the only like big community that that really physically restricts access to it. And so I was never sure what I was going to try to do about it because um, I'm like. Does that really count as part of New York City if they're trying to keep everybody out? Maybe I shouldn't even, like, maybe it doesn't even deserve to be counted as part of New York City. Or should I try to, like, sneak in around the fence on the edge? And, like, I did that and kind of walked along the beach of Seagate. But, you know, I'd had experience before doing that, and they have security guards and stuff. And so, like, I didn't think I could walk every street in there just sneaking in. So, I was just not sure. I had mixed feelings. Should I try to figure out a way to get in there or should I just say forget it? Um, so, you know, I was walking along the edge of Seagate one day on the public, you know, the public streets of Coney Island just outside the fence of Seagate. And, you know, I'd gone up to the guard booth and said, hey, um, you know, can can guests come in? Are you allowed to come in for the day? Like walk around? Can I get a visitor pass or something? No, 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 you can't do any of that. So I'm like, okay, whatever. So anyway, I'm now I'm walking up toward the northern part of Seagate. So I'm at the fence, but there's no there's no gate there. The gate's further south, right? So it's just me, a really tall fence, and then Seagate on the other side. And I hear you know, this little ice cream truck comes driving around on the public side of the fence. And this guy on the other side, inside Seagate, it's like, hey, I want an ice cream cone. And I'm like, what the hell? How's he going? Ice cream trucks can't come in Seagate? Yeah. I guess not. Yeah. 
and but but he's you know there's this big fence in between them and i'm just like how's he gonna get the ice cream to this guy on the other side of the fence it was a chain link fence you know little holes like you can't yeah. pass an ice cream through that so the guy calls out his order he's like he wants a chocolate cone with chocolate sprinkles you know it's like the soft serve the guy gets out of the truck and he makes his cone and i'm just i'm transfixed i'm like how is he going to get the ice cream to this guy? It's like a 10-foot tall fence. You can't throw it over the fence. These like, guys don't look like athletes. Yeah, how's it? yeah, he's not going to climb up the fence to like drop. How's he going to get it there? And he walks up to the fence, and there's one little area where someone's cut a hole in the chain link just big enough to pass ice cream through. For, for that transaction. And both of those guys know where this hole is. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? So this guy, he's standing there. He's eating his ice cream cone inside Seagate. And he's just, you know, contentedly just licking his ice cream cone. And I walk up to him, I'm like, what is this deal with ice cream? He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's ice cream hole. That's how we get ice cream in here. Just nonchalant. And he's also, like, doesn't think it's weird that I'm asking this. He's like, yeah, ice cream hole. It's pretty cool. <laughs> and uh, so I start talking to this guy, you know, while he's eating his ice cream. And um, he's telling me all about growing up in Coney Island. He, he was a Puerto Rican guy. He, he said, like, his was the first Puerto Rican family in that part of Coney Island. He was just telling me. He was like. I think he was about 60 years old at the time. Um, and so he was just telling me about his whole life there. It was pretty interesting. And um, I started asking him about Seagate. And, you know, I tell him, you know, I'm doing this walk, but they wouldn't let me, you know, they wouldn't let me come in Seagate to walk around. And he was like, yeah, you know, you got to be, vi- you got to be like a visiting someone to come into Seagate. And I was like, oh, cool. Can I come visit you? And he's like, oh, yeah, that'd be fine. So, you know, it was the end of the day. So I couldn't do it that day, but he gave me his phone number. So a couple months later, I arrange a time with him. I come back. I, you know, now I know what to say when I get to the gate. I'm going to visit so and so at this address, and so they let me in. So I go visit him. We hang out. I walk all the streets in Seagate, and you know, I spend the day with this guy. All starting from all starting from an ice cream from the ice cream hole, ice cream hole. Yeah, and just like, <laughs> just I, I can't tell you how fascinated I was to. Be like, how are they going to get the ice cream there? <laughs> like, clearly there's a plan. The guy's not going to make an they, ice cream. They, but just, they both knew the plan. They both knew where the hole was. And Robert was the guy's name. He's like, yeah, the ice cream hole's been there for years. Like, they, I guess they don't let the ice cream trucks in into uh, Seagate. Yeah. So, like, that was the solution. Like, if you want ice cream, you just go up to the ice cream hole. And, and your solution to getting in Seagate was to befriend someone. <laughs> exactly. Who exactly. Befriend someone who's buying their chocolate <laughs> ice cream cone from the Mr. Softy truck. <laughs> I love that story. Was there uh, a, a scary moment or or several? At any uh, point? What, what, whether yeah, yeah. it's weather or sure, sure. Um, you know, I, I mean, I I haven't really felt in danger on my walk. Um, there there was a there was. I mean, this was a, a kind of eye opening thing that happened to me um, where I was. So another another thing I walked I walked through like there's you know there's lots of big public housing projects in New York and kind of like parks and cemeteries there's not like roads running through them but there's lots of paths you know if you can picture it's like usually lots of big ta- apartment towers and then you know paths in between them so I'll walk those areas too so anyway one day I was up in the in the South Bronx and I go to walk into this housing project just to kind of make my little loop through it and pop back out on the other side. And, you know, there's a police officer standing outside on the, on the sidewalk, like right before I go into the, into the housing project. So I just walk by him, you know, I just kind of nod at him and we acknowledge each other. And I walk through the housing project and, you know, I, I take a couple photos or something, you know, I'm always taking photos of stuff. And I come back out the the other end of the housing project and i can see that as i'm coming out 
And I had noticed, by the way, I noticed a couple of police officers in their car inside the, the housing project. So I come back out and I can see that first police officer walking down the street to meet me. You know, he's clearly coming to talk to me or something. And um, he comes up to me and he says, you know, excuse me, sir, can I ask you what you have in your back pocket? And, you know, like your water bottle right here. I always have this water bottle in my back pocket. And, you know, being a white guy who doesn't seem threatening to the police, I very naively just reach in and I I say, oh, it's just this water bottle I have in my back pocket. And as I'm doing that, of course, my brain's like, you idiot. He thinks you have a gun in your pocket and now you're, you're pulling it out on him. He drew his weapon. He didn't draw his weapon. He's freaked out because he goes, huh? <laughs> like he can't believe I just did that. And I'm, I'm realizing that he thought it was a gun. Right. And, and you're like, I grew up in Ashland. Virginia, exactly. Man. Exactly. <laughs> and you know, that's when you kind of start to realize how the world is different for different people who might be perceived differently by police officers or others, you know? And, um, I'm like, Oh yeah, it's just this water bottle. And he's like, okay, uh, can do uh, can, can I ask you, do you live around here? And I was like, no, no, I don't live around here. I'm, you know, I start, I explain my walk to him. I'm like, you know, I do this walk. I'm kind of walking all these different streets, walking on these different pathways and everything. And he's like, you know, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah, no, you know, I understand that. But, you know, these people, and just kind of points his thumb at the housing, right? These people, you know, they see you taking pictures in there, man. They're going to beat your ass. And I start to realize, like, you know, I'm not going to change this guy's opinion on anything. So I'm just like, oh, okay, yeah, you know, thanks, thanks. But, of course, I'm thinking, like, these people, these people are going to beat my ass, you know, like if, I, I have years of proof of, that yeah, like I just though. try to treat people respectfully and I tend to get the same behavior back. Um, but it did make me realize, you know, at least for that, that one guy, he clearly was not threatened by me. And when he thought I was pulling a gun out, he was just totally unprepared for that. Yeah. And if I had looked differently and, you know, maybe he thought that I was a threat that could have been the end of my life or who knows. Um, so that was, it wasn't scary in the moment for me, but looking back, I was like, wow, like that's, that's given me some perspective on, on what it could be like to be anyone different, whether it's someone of a different race, a woman. I, I have no doubt that, you know, there've been guys I met on my walk who were like buddy, buddy with me, just strangers I met who I joked around with, who would have probably been harassing women or something, you know, right. like, you know, people, people treat men and women differently. And, um, so it has, you know, it has made me realize that both i think i do genuinely believe that the world's less scary than we think it is but i also know that it's especially less scary for me you know whereas people of, of other races genders whatever sexual orientation whatever it is the, the world can be a lot scarier place for for other people than than it is for me too yeah and you and i have taken that for granted yeah for most of our exactly lives. exactly yeah yeah uh any other memorable uh experiences oh my gosh i mean infinite ones um i don't even know where to start there's so many uh, I mean, a lot of it's, you know, it's funny little things. Um, what, one, one that I always wish, this is one that always haunts me around this time of year, around Christmas time. Um, I was, I was out in Staten Island, um, and there was, um, you know, one thing that I love seeing in New York is you see people, all these people of different faiths, and you can see their faith in their yard a lot of time because mm. they have shrines of, you know, different gods, goddesses, whatever it is they believe in. And, you know, you can learn a lot about, you know, what is that thing? You're like, what do these flags represent? And I re- re- learned that there are these kind of Hindu flags. They're called mm. Jandi flags. And now I see them in different neighborhoods. And it's 
it's just, you know, there's something nice about just knowing something about a person who lives in a place, even if you never meet the person. Something a little bit a little bit nice about just, I see that thing and I can know something about you, you know, just a little bit of connection with that person. Um, and anyway, so, um, but yeah, you see all these, just all these different, all kinds of different evidence of what people believe, which is a neat thing just to realize the diversity of human beliefs. And so, um, so I was in, yeah, in Staten Island and I pass by this house and it has this really cool homemade shrine with like, um, the Virgin Mary in it, you know, it was a, and it was a Christmas time. It was just before Christmas. So it was all lit up for the holidays. It was like, kind of like the size of like, you know, a kind of large doghouse sort of size, like a little building like that. Not just, not just the Virgin Mary, but like a whole little building for her. And, um, it was really cool. Yeah. Again, like I had the Christmas lights and everything. It was just like clearly homemade. And I, I love things like that where you see someone's faith or their belief, like lead them to like do a project, you know, you can really feel their personality and who they are in this like thing that they spent time crafting. So, you know, to me, that's always something that connects with me. So I'm out there taking photos of it. And the guy whose house it is comes out and he starts talking to me and he was this Mexican guy. And, um, I think it was actually like, uh, I think it's like our, our lady of Guadalupe, I think is that that's the like particular apparition of the Virgin Mary that was represented there. It's like the, um, you know, the like national, uh, figure of Mexico for, for like Catholics. Um, anyway, so he starts telling me about it and, you know, this is another lesson you learn, by the way. Sometimes you feel like a little bit awkward if you're like taking photos of something in someone's yard and they come out. You're like, oh, do they not want me here? A hundred percent of the time, they want you to ask them about that oh, thing, they can, right? They've been waiting all of day. Of course, because yeah. they spent all this time making Like they want they want to tell you about it. Like they don't think it's weird that you're there. They're like, you know, even if they might seem a little suspicious for a second because someone's taking photos in their yard, as soon as you say like, Oh, what is it? Did you make this? Then they're like on cloud nine. They're like, oh, let me tell you about it. Yeah. You know? So it was just one of those great things. So he's like very proudly telling me about it. And he's like, you know, um, oh yeah, you know, every, whatever it is, Saturday before Christmas, we have like a big holiday party here. Like you should come, you should come out to the party. And you know, it's just the timing. I was like all the way on the other side of the city that following Saturday. I just didn't make it work. But I, it always haunts me around Christmas. <laughs> I should have gone to this party. You can, you can still go back. That's true. You're right. I don't. I, I don't remember like the exact. Was it always a Saturday or whatever? But I'm sure I have written down somewhere. Or rec- sometimes I make little voice memos when something happens to yeah, me. Yeah. I could probably go back and find that. And as long as he still lives in that house, or I could just go camp out there the whole holiday season. Wait till the party happens. And, <laughs> hey, remember me from nine years ago? <laughs> I'm the one guy. That, yeah, I'm the that, one that guy that asked, asked you about the thing and you invited me to your party. <laughs> That's beautiful. All right, I've been yeah. dying to ask you this question. Have you walked every street of Ashland, Virginia? I have. Have you? Really? I have definitely. When was that? That became a thing. So, um, when the pandemic started. Uh, um, so I guess I haven't really explained this yet. Um, so the a big part of how I make the New York City walk work with like fairly minimal sources of income is to not pay rent. That's a super crucial part. I should have asked you about that. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, this way we get into it naturally. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I couch surf with friends. I cat sit for people, you know, when people are out of town. Sometimes it's a few days. Sometimes I've had up to like two months of just staying at someone's apartment. And you're known throughout the city as the guy. Not, not really throughout the city, but, but I have a big your, enough. Your network's bigger friends than of friends think. of friends now yeah. that, you know, yeah. it's just, just big enough to make it work. Um, there are now like websites where you can, you know, 
sign up as like a cat sitter and people can, you know, you can connect through the internet, even if you, excuse me, even if you don't know the people. Um, but I've just had a big enough, like friends of friends network to make it work just enough throughout the years. Um, but so when the pandemic started, you know, you're not going to go stay on one bounce from couch to couch with this communicable disease going around. And also nobody was traveling then, you know, we're locked down. So like no one needs me to come watch their cat while they're out of town. So all of a sudden my like way for finding places to stay in New York city kind of dried up. So I came down to Virginia and I stayed with my parents and ended up being 16 months that I stayed down Mm. here in Ashland, um, which was, you know, completely unexpected, but was just wonderful, wonderful time. Um, I mean, both just, getting to live with my parents as an adult and like get to know them at this totally different point in both of our lives. I mean, a lot, you know, most people don't have that experience, you know, especially in America where the the tradition is, you know, you go out on your own when you have your family and, you know, maybe right. you live in the same town and you get to see your parents here and there. But, um, you know, a lot of people, you see your parents a couple times a year and that's, that's about it. Um, so that was, that was a wonderful thing. But the other wonderful part about it was being back in my hometown that I only really knew from a kid's point of view. And to get to like rediscover it as an adult and realize I didn't really know where anything was in in Hanover, you know, like all these places my mom had taken me or my dad had driven me there, you know, when I was a kid. And now I like figure out where they are related to each other. I start walking between them all. I ride my bike around everywhere. And um, yeah, I walked all the streets in Ashland and I started also keeping track of all the roads like in Hanover County that I was biking. So it's like the thing from New York just there was it wasn't really about new york all along it turned out it was just about a way of like discovering wherever you are so i just kind of imported it right down here to hanover so you and you have so like but prior to today i biked by your house already i biked every <laughs> every street back in this subdivision like i've covered it all you know <laughs> i did, i did not see that coming yeah so you you've walked basically all of new york and <laughs> Ashland, Virginia, and a lot of Hanover. Uh-huh. Are there? Is there a third part of the world? That you've um, done those are the only two because I didn't really have this idea of like keeping track of everywhere I was walking until I started it in New York. Gotcha. But then once I came down to Ashland, I was like, oh, I could just do the same thing. And there's something, you know, no matter how long you've lived in a place, there are going to be streets you haven't been on just because there's just no nothing's taken you there right it's one block away from like the main route that you normally travel like you never go up there you don't know anyone who lives on that street there's no store there you go to there's no park there you go to so like there there's something and i'd encourage anyone listening to this you know do this or just some version of it even if it's just in your neighborhood like just the the kind of mechanism of walking every block of x place whatever it is it just makes you interact with the place in a way different way you know it it makes you it makes you excited about going to the street you haven't been on. It takes you to the places you otherwise just have no reason to go. And it just, it opens up your home to you in a, in a new way. It gives you a new perspective on it that you don't have, like no matter how long you've lived there. And you're going to meet people that you would have never met. Yeah. Yeah. Meet people and just even just see things about your own hometown that you never knew about. Um, So yeah, that was a, a really incredible experience. And also just another great lesson for me that like, the reason that walking in New York's fascinating is not just because it's New York and it's such a fascinating place. It's just because you're walking. Yeah. Like walking yeah, yeah, yeah. everywhere makes it places fascinating, no matter no matter if it's just, you know, just your puny little center of the universe. <laughs> <laughs> so you're eventually gonna get to hundred percent or 
something happens in your life, you're like, you know what, I, I'm moving on from this uh, phase of my life. Is there another city that is down the road for you, or are you always going to be a, a New Yorker? I don't know. There's no particular plan. Um, I mean, my my brother lives in Chicago, and every time I'm out there, I just go out and walk every day. And man, I mean, I love walking around there. I was house sitting for a friend in Philadelphia um, over the summer, and like that was so much fun walking there. So anytime I'm in a city and I start walking it, I kind of think in the moment i'm like oh i should walk every street here but i don't have like a particular plan or anything are you um, mapping those walks no those are just like just just going out for the day and having fun but um i could you know it would be super fun to to to, to do the like every street thing in those places but um i don't have a particular plan for it um which doesn't mean it wouldn't happen but you, but know. you are a planner like day to day because you plan your routes to yeah plan. yeah it's kind of a mix of like I have the very like anal retentive engineering, like dot every I cross every T kind of thing. So yeah, all my walks are very planned out and the map's very precise, but also like, you know, I don't know what I'm going to be doing a week from today. So it's kind of a mix mm-hmm. of, of spontaneity and planning. And You're really I, living in the moment. Uh, yeah. I mean, I try to, I guess you well, know, we're, we're all struggling, all struggling to do that. Yeah. As you're walking, you're living in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's nice. It's a it's a way of being that encourages that. Like it's hard to go for a long walk and not be in the moment, right? That's yeah. just what walking does. It fixes you where you are, and you're surrounded by the environment. You feel you know you feel the air around you. You hear and smell everything around you. So it just kind of puts you in a place. It's it's hard to not be in the moment when you're when you're outdoors walking. And you're not anxious, I imagine. Yeah, I mean that that I guess that's another big lesson from my walk is like, you know. Th- you can kind of, at least, I guess, maybe I should say from my previous perspective of like having been such a planner, you know, I was always so worried about the future and having to figure everything out ahead of time. And, you know, I mean, if, if, if you have very specific plans to get married and have kids and all of that, that undoubtedly, you know, takes more planning to make that happen. But, um, but I think life in general, it, it, you can kind of get by um spontaneously a little more like that that's taken away anxiety from my life realizing that i don't have to have everything planned out in order to make life work and like you know when i started my new york walk i thought oh this will take a couple years i could patch together couches to sleep on for a couple years and if i had known it's been like almost 11 years now and counting if i had known it would take that long i probably wouldn't have started i would have said you can't i can't do this for 11 years just like cobbling together a few speaking gigs or teaching things or odd jobs you know there's no way i'll be able to make it work financially you know even without the having to not having to pay rent um but it turns out it's just worked like i've been able to just go day by day and it's it's just worked out way longer than i thought it would and so that's kind of just giving me faith in life in general that um that you know you don't always have to have everything planned out especially if you're open to different paths in your future you know not not necessarily having to go one direction in life uh any regrets from the last 11 years no not really yeah. i mean i just feel i just feel really fortunate that's the way awesome my life, right? how many yeah. people say they've the, the, their last 11 years no regrets yeah i know i i mean I, I do feel like the luckiest person in the world and i you know i understand that i'm i'm so dependent on other people like people just help me all throughout this whether it's you know giving me couches to sleep on or people on my cross-country walk letting me stay there giving me food like you know, I'm so dependent on everybody else and I just feel so incredibly lucky that, you know, there's so much generosity in the world to, 
to make a life like mine possible. You've helped people too, though. You've enriched their lives by them uh, getting to know you. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, that's that's certainly nice to think that. Um, but but it's just to say that, like, not not that I feel bad about people helping me. I, I if I feel good, I feel good that there's that much generosity in the world that you know that's helped me go through this, and that you know, I just it's nice to. I I think you know, one thing I think about America is we have an idea that like we're so independent minded that like you can't you can't it like makes you weak to rely on anybody else and i think that, oh, that that's silly yeah. yeah i think that when we when we owe debts to other people that's kind of what makes community you know like this person helped you out and so you want to help them out and like so it's giving and taking kind of cycles that build bonds in a community and make it make it a strong community not just a bunch of individuals and i've just experienced that so much in my life and i'm really indebted to it um and yeah, so that's why I just feel like such a fortunate person. And like even my, you know, even my time as an engineer, I don't think was wasted. You know, I mean, just financially, I had to be able to save up money in order to be doing this. And, you know, just all the experiences from that have been so valuable in life, too. So, yeah, I feel like I've just been lucky every every step of the way. And you're you're fairly frugal because you, you have to be, right? Yeah, I'm just by nature a frugal person. Um, I just, you know. I, I I way prefer saving money to buying anything with it. So that's just always been my nature. You, you've met your uh, bizarro uh, Matt Green today. <laughs> <laughs> I, have, I have a feeling I'm not the only one. No, <laughs> no, definitely not. Definitely not. All right, I can't wait to hear the answer to this question, and it's uh, you're not expecting this, I don't think. Uh, imagine you're a talk show host. You have <laughs> okay. one one uh, talk show. It lasts an hour, hour and a half. Uh, you can invite. Three or four folks on your talk show. Okay. They can be alive or dead. They can be uh, friends of yours, family. Uh, they can be famous, not famous. Uh, they can be complete strangers from a thousand years ago. Your show can be uh, thought-provoking. It can be fun. It can be pure entertainment. It can be a mix of those things. Uh, it can be educational, even. Male guest, female guest, Musical act, because I assume you listen to music. And if you're into stand-up comedy or just comedy in general, somebody from that comedy genre that you would love to talk to. Okay. So you're interviewing all four of these. Okay. Guys. Female guest, I'll definitely have to say Peace Pilgrim. <laughs> you know, I've just seen that one coming. She's just been kind of the light, you know, the, the kind of inspirational light that I keep in front of me um, and just thinking about life and what I'm doing. Um, and... Yeah, I mean, I've just thought thought about it. she shaped so much of just what I thought about and done over the years. So I'd I'd love to have the opportunity to talk to her. It'd be amazing, right? Yeah, you talk you talk to her for days. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, male guest. I think I'd have to go with. You know, I I'd really lo I would love to talk to like my my grandfather. My well, you know, my my mom's father died before I was born. I never got the chance to meet him. My dad's father I knew kind of up until college, and that's when he died. But maybe him, since I, I, I knew him as a kid, you know, I would love to be able to talk to him as an adult. Um, and I would love to know what he thinks about what, like, you know, he, he immigrated here to America and he worked, you know, he worked so hard to to build up. We this, have no concept how yeah, far that generation I mean, both, both he and my grandmother, but, you know, I already fulfilled the, uh, the female part of the. Right. Um, but, you know, I mean, they, you know, they work so hard to, to build this life for their kids and in some ways to like make it so their grandkids could do things like, you know, have the luxury to just say, you know what, I'm going to step out of the 
the engineering world and the you know normal work world and like do this strange sounding thing i'd love to know what he thinks about it and and like just understand where he came from and and you know i mean he, he would tell me stories about his life as a kid when i was a kid but to be able to understand them now as an adult and put those things in perspective um I would really love love to know what he thought about this. I'm guessing he would be perplexed, but probably. because he loves his grandson, he he would get to a place where uh, it's all good. I think that's probably true. I think it'd be some of each. He was a very very like loving and just kind hearted and gentle and generous person. Um, so, yeah, but yeah, I think there would definitely be like you're doing what exactly? <laughs> um, okay, musical guest. Well, I'm gonna have to go with that. This was like the first. I was just talking to my mom about this. Um, it was the first band like whose album I ever bought. It was the first first music of my own I ever had. They might be giants. Okay, yeah. Um, nice. You know they've existed throughout the years. They started in Brooklyn. Um, you know back in like 1986, I think was their first album. They're still making music to this day, and they have this per- kind of. If you've heard of them, you probably think of them as like almost maybe like weird novelty music or something. There's a little bit of like wackiness to them, yeah. but um, there's a lot more to them than that. Like once you really get into it, and. Um, yeah, they've been kind of the band of my life. They're just kind of this unusual group of guys doing their own things. I mean, it started with just these two guys in Brooklyn. One of them played the accordion and one played the guitar. And they'd go to like the East Village and like go to these art, you know, it was like art music shows, like performance art. That's where they play. The more different you were, yeah. the better. Yeah. And so that that was like the origin of them. And um, they also had this amazing thing. One of them, the, the accordion player, broke his arm. He was like a, working as a bike messenger back in the way early days, and he broke his arm. And they couldn't, um, I think they couldn't perform live shows until it healed. And so they came up with this idea where they'd record a new song every day and put it on their answering machine. And they called it Dial a Song. And they'd put an advertisement for it in the Village Voice newspaper. And I can still tell you the number. It was 387-6962. And you'd dial that number and you'd just hear their answering machine and you would hear the, the new song that they'd record on the answering machine. And you'd be the only person in the world listening to it because it was a tape, you know, it was before yeah. voice, it was a tape answering machine. Right. So you could like call that number and be the only person in the world listening to their song at that moment. That's um, pretty so cool. they were just a cool, a really cool couple of guys. And um, yeah, so that would definitely be my, my musical guest. And comedian. Um, you know, I, I didn't mention this, but one of the things that um, that I used to do in my like trying to not be an engineer phase, um, when I lived in Northern Virginia for a year, I started doing open mic stand-up comedy. Oh, really? Yeah, I did. A, that takes a lot of guts. It did. It took a lot of guts, a lot of failure, like a lot of humiliation on stage, which I think is painful, but very good for personal growth. <laughs> Absolutely. But it, it's yeah. the first step. You have yeah. to get the first step. Um, but I met, you know, I met a bunch of people doing that um some of whom have gone on to be you know professional comedians um so one of them i'll give him a shout out rory scovel okay um you'll find if he, you know he's been on he's been in some movies he's you know he's been on some talk shows he's had some really good segments on conan o'brien okay um but he you know he's 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 really getting there and he's a great he's a really original uh, he does a lot of like improv in his comedy um really original guy and i guess i can kind of relate to him in that like you know, in a way, walking around is a little bit improvisational. You never know who you're going to meet. You don't know what you're going to say to them. You don't know what you're going to find. You don't know what's going to interest you. And he kind of has that attitude in his comedy. Like, he he recorded um, an entire comedy special that was just 100% him talking to the audience. Like, he'd come out on stage with no net. No net. Just start talking. And just see what would happen. So I kind of relate to that. He's he probably really loved guy. that. Yeah. 
Especially yeah. after the crowd was warmed up. Yeah, bit. yeah, he's yeah. great. So, uh, yeah, so that would be—I'll give him a shout out. That would be my comedian I'd have All on right. the show. I, I check out your your talk show. Yeah, it's pretty good, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, how many days a year do you walk? Like, and when I say walk, you're, you're you have intent to do a yeah. day trip sort of thing. It is. It's varied a lot over the years. So, like beginning the New York walk, uh, I thought I was going to do it just like my cross country walk. So that's to say I spend the bulk of the day walking and then I spend a little time uploading a few photos that I took. And that's what I thought my blog would just be a photo record of, you know, a few photos here and there. And, you know, maybe I have a story to tell that I type up or maybe it's just here's this photo, whatever this thing is. And then I started to realize, like, all these things I was taking photos of that I was curious about. I can find out a lot of information about these things because it's New York. You know, so much has just been written about so many places. It was shocking to me though. Like in all the newspaper archives, there are like, you can find stuff about, you know, you have a picture of a building. Like you can find a lot of stuff about a lot of buildings in New York, like way more than you would think, not just the big famous buildings, you know, same thing with like some event that happened or a particular location or a particular person or, you know, an animal that I see in the city, a plant that I see, what's this flower? Like I started to realize everything that was catching my eye, not everything, maybe half of the things I'm taking photos of, like I can learn about those things. And that takes a lot of time too. So it went from walking every day in the early days of the walk to like walking every other day and the other days I'd spend just researching. And then it just got more and more to like, I'm just spending more and more time learning about the things that I'm seeing and less and less time actually walking. Um, so that was kind of the general trend over the years. Then I come down to Virginia in the pandemic and you know, the pandemic I think makes us all think about health a little bit more and trying to live healthy lives. And I started thinking, you know, like I really got to get back to where I'm walking every day and not just doing stuff at the computer. So then it was like every day during the pandemic, I'm out like, you know, trying to walk like at least 12 miles or something around Ashland or be out on my bike or something. So that kind of kickstarted me back into the like, you know, make sure I'm out there every day kind of thing. So now that's back where I am in New York, even though a lot of my walks now are not blocks that I need to walk, you know, because wherever I'm staying, I've almost certainly walked everything around that neighborhood now in New York because there's so little left. Yeah. So a lot of days I'm just out rewalking places just for the hell of it. And that's taught me another important lesson, which is like the 20th time I walk a block, I finally see this incredible thing where I'm like, how did I not see that all the other times? You know, it reminds me how little we take in in any, any given instance. Probably um, 20%. Yeah, if that, yeah. you know. And like the idea we have, you know, oh, I've already been to that place. I don't want to go there again. I want to go somewhere new. But like the place you've already been, like you've seen the tiniest little sliver of it. And that's a good, that's a really good lesson to learn, I think. Um, There's that, no way to get to the depth. Exactly. Yeah. You're, you're never going to see all of any place. Like even a simple seeming place is much more infinite than your mind can handle. So, um, so yeah, so now I'm back, back into like every day I make sure I'm outside for, you know, at least like four hours or something like that. Out of all the photos you've taken, how many are not uh, logged somewhere? Oh, my God. I So my blog now, it's like seven years behind. And there's <laughs> it's about halfway through the photos. And you're trying to maintain chronological order? Yes, it's going chronologically. So I have probably, I don't know off the top of my head, somewhere in the neighborhood of 10,000, over 10,000 photos on my blog. And that's only half of the photos. Oh, my God. So I've got like another 10,000 to come. Um, Can people help you? You know... I, it's one of those things where like you're initially it feels like 
oh, the point of this blog is to just be caught up and to finish it. But I think kind of like the walking, the point is not really to finish it. The point's to do it. And so I don't think, like, I think I'd rather have the blog take forever and just do it at whatever pace, like come back to it, leave it for a little bit, come back to it, start updating it again. Like to do that as like, as my attention and my curiosity drives me to do it. I think that's kind of the important part about it, not just to finish it for the sake of mm. finishing it. So, you know, it's taken like every day of photos that I post to the blog takes longer and longer to do because I spend more and more time like going down rabbit holes. So it, I might not finish it before I die, but you know, that's okay. Like, I'm, I absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's not, it's not like, I don't feel initially when I started getting behind on it, I felt bad. It was like, no, I got to be caught up. Like no matter what, I got to get caught up. And now I'm like, you know, it's just about the experience of learning about stuff and telling other people about it. It's not about just finishing it for the Check, sake of being checking done. a giant box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, all right, let's cl- let's close talking about your family. Sounds good. Um, I'm dying to know what your parents think about your last 11 years. Um, I mean, I can tell you my perception of that. I could have brought them along today; they could give you the real answer. Um, but I think that, I mean, initially, of course, they were very worried. I mean, it was really almost thir—is that right? Almost thirteen years ago, um, when I quit my job. No, almost fourteen years ago. Yeah. Um, so that was probably the most worrying thing for them, like the quitting the job and doing the walk across America. Um, you know, kind of giving up what seemed like a really stable career um, and doing a thing that there's a, you know, there's a lot of unknown in the idea of walking across America. What could happen to you? It's less scary for me because I'm out there experiencing it. But for them, you know, they have to imagine every day, like, what what could possibly be going wrong? Yeah, you know, fear of the unknown. A, a yeah. natural thing to worry about. Um, and then I think over the years, you know, they've... Um, I, I mean, und- they definitely want me to have a more stable life just for my own sake, just out of the love of parents. You know, you want, you want your children to be set up very secure, like not have not have doubt in their life. Um, so there's definitely that part that they feel, but, um, but I think more than any other parents I know, they also, um, see the value in what I'm doing and accept it as weird of a thing as it is. Um, they, you know, they're also, they're encouraging too. I mean, even though they, they wish I were doing something that was more stable, um, they, you know, they, they just make me feel good about what I'm doing, that it is a valuable thing, even if there's no real way to articulate why that is. Um, and you know, I mean, I think, I think part of them probably, you know, likes the different kind of stories and experiences I have to share. And and they, you know, certainly see the value in that. Um, so I think probably the ideal for them would be to somehow be doing this as a job and just getting paid for it. And then like that could satisfy all the boxes. Um, but yeah, so I think there's certainly some worry, but, but, um, you know, it's been so many years now that, um, that they're probably used to it. And again, I mean, I, I, like I was saying before, you know, I feel so grateful about everything in my life. And a huge part of that is my parents that, um, you know, I mean, your parents just have to instill in you the belief that you can do something different with your life. You know, like that takes, that takes a foundation to be able to, to kind of step outside of like the main way we organize our lives around careers and things like that. Like you, 
you have to have a belief that you can do something different and it will be okay. And I think a lot of that comes from the foundation that your parents build that mm. like that gives you that kind of self-esteem and belief in yourself. And man, my, I mean, my parents were so amazing at that, you know, um, and I'm so, so grateful for that, that they made me just feel like I had more freedom in life than I think a lot of people feel that they have. It's a great lesson for any parent. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I imagine your parents um, get a lot of joy out of you being happy and i think yeah. you've been very happy for the yeah. last 11 years and that makes them joyful definitely yeah i mean it's def it, it is like a, a kind of fulfillment in life that i never understood before um and you know it took a little bit to get to it like at the start of my my walk um i didn't know what i was doing and i you know there were moments of like what have i done you know what is going on is this is it what i'm doing worth anything that was something i questioned a lot you know like is this is this just pointless what I'm doing? Like, what you know, is this something, is this selfish? You know, all those kind of questions. Um, but you know, over the years it, I've come to believe in it and, um, and yeah, it does bring a, a real feeling of fulfillment that I, I never had as an engineer or anything else. Yeah. It sounds like you're at peace. Yeah. 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 And again, you know, I, I have to thank my family for that. Yeah. That's today. awesome. Well, yeah. it's holiday season and your brother's coming into town. Today. He's coming into town today. And we, I think. And we're at an hour and 44. Minutes, All right. So. Perfect. Yeah. I'm, he's probably, he's probably at the house now. I appreciate you doing this. My pleasure. Dad. I really do. You're, you're, you're a really great host too. You, I appreciate I, it. I like you. You kind of go with the flow and um, ask really great questions too. And I felt like we could just meander anywhere. That's so. uh, I enjoy meandering quite yeah. a bit. Yeah. yeah. So that's fun. Thanks awesome. a lot. Thanks, Matt. Yeah. this episode please subscribe to wherever you listen to podcasts we'd also really appreciate if you'd rate and review us you can find us at scodopodcast.com